I don't know if that's totally true, but I feel that you're looking at it from a tinted, privileged, white, guilt glint. Welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome everybody, thanks for tuning in. This week my guest is Iloka Obi. Obi is a buddy of mine from playing college rugby. He has a double major in statistics and environmental studies along with a minor in mathematics, and he's on his way to grad school to study artificial intelligence. So obviously a very smart guy. And we talked about many of the kind of recurring issues of the past few weeks, so namely the topic of race and disparate outcomes in our country. But Obi brings a different perspective, I would say, than the normal line that we've talked about in the show and he challenged me a bit on why I have the opinions I have and explained, you know, why he came to the opinions that he, he holds. And it was great. I think it's a really interesting conversation and also fulfills the mission of the show, which is to, to promote and model healthy communication for men. That's exactly what we did here, and I hope you enjoy it. So big thanks to Obi, and enjoy the show. And we're live. Hey, Obi. Good evening, man. How are you doing? I'm all right, uh, TP. Can I call you TP or should I call you Thomas to be more formal? <laughs> no, I'm professional. No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course. <laughs> nice, dude. So you were just telling me you're in, you're in DC. Uh, so Obi and I met, we met when we were playing rugby. Like, like all good relationships started playing rugby. <laughs> yeah. Rugby, rugby team 2016. Yeah, man. Did you, did you keep playing after I, Hell yeah. Nice man. How did how did you like it? Uh it was uh great to be honest. Ups and downs. But uh we uh, I thought we had a pretty good team the last two years that I was on the the team. Nice dude. Yeah. I mean rugby for me was and is a great conduit for personal growth and I think looking back that environment is so cool. It's you know a lot of young people who are kind of finding themselves and finding out, you know, what they're about. And we were really lucky to have really consistent coaching and yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And the team got better, but uh, I believe that the team got better because many of the motivations and the values of the team uh, changed mercurially and, and, and drastically <laughs> drinking team, yeah. team that played rugby and a rugby team that, you know, had maybe a few drinks on the week. Yeah. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I mean that, you know, regretfully that was my era that kind of brought in that, you know, that over drinking and, and kind of sideways priorities. And that was something I really was not, not happy about on the way out. Cause I don't know, there's definitely a place for it. And like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't party, but yeah, I think the thing that like differentiated us from just like a fraternity, for example, or a bunch of guys who only drink was that we really, we were training hard and trying to be in good shape and trying to compete and win, 
win tournaments and win uh, leagues, you know? Yeah. I believe that probably the, the, the talent was probably a little bit better and maybe not better, but there was a, a different uh, person personnel. Let's say that there was a different type of personnel that allowed us to play a, a certain type of way. Uh, the rugby, uh, the quality of the rugby um, became more dynamic. We were able to implement new like techniques, new uh, 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 plays that really um, set us apart from many of the other teams. It wasn't just as uh, uh, one-dimensional as I remember it from the earlier years. Yeah, yeah. Right on, man. Well, we can uh, we can and we'll talk rugby, I think, a lot in the future too. But, you know, we came kind of with a more uh, particular framework. So you heard my chat with Lee B and kind of reached out. And thank you so much for, for doing that and, and wanting to come on the show. Um, just so to frame kind of the discussion, I would say, where are you coming from? You know, intellectually, what's your framework? And what are the kind of core topics in, in the books that you were looking to, to, to have us chop it up on? Well, uh, I'm not a uh, black studies major or, you know, a humanities guy per se. I'm a STEM guy. I have an undergrad degree in statistics, a minor in mathematics, and a double major, another major in, in, in environmental studies. I am going to Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, uh, uh, for artificial intelligence. So I wouldn't describe myself as some humanities, uh, philosophical thinker, some social theorist or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I would describe myself more as, uh, again, an engineer. But I I have a lot of uh, experiences with, I guess, the social climate within the United States because I've lived in the United States my whole entire life. And I come at it from a a multitude of perspectives, you know, the son of immigrants being black, being a male, which has a lot of different connotations and differences compared with uh, females growing up a lot differently from many kids who tend to look like me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And very well, very well expressed, man, that kind of understanding your identity and Anthony, who I don't know if you heard that episode with one of my buddies and he's a, the director of DNI at my high school. And he kind of broke down for us, like, what are the different points of identity that influence how, how we're socialized and how society views us and how we view ourselves. So yeah, man, that's interesting. So you, you mentioned that you, your, your lived experience is going to be different than other guys other black guys. It was my understanding. Is that what you meant? Uh, I would say so. Yes. Okay. What well, What are those things? I grew up in a, I guess you could call it a, a middle class, upper middle class background. Uh, my dad was a doctor, a pharmacist. He was a, he was a, a clinical pharmacist. He came from Nigeria about 40 years ago. He went to, he came here specifically for an education visa for specifically uh, to advance his educational goals and he decided to go to pharmacy school at Northeastern. And then he ended up working at you know, prestigious, prestigious institutions like Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Okay. And UMass. Nice, nice. So that, that's a different upbringing from like a lot of people. That's just as far as like the intellectual. It sounds like your family is 
very intelligent <laughs> and and accomplished, which is awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, immigrants they tend to, you know, have a, a different drive and a different ethic because of where they specifically come from. A lot of people don't understand um, what's inside the mind of a lot of immigrants and many of their motivations. People, uh, it always seems that, you know, the ethnic groups who do the most well in this country usually have a, 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 a different ethnic background from, you know, the majority. You know, they have different motivations that propel them and they kind of tend to instill that into their kids. I'm, I guess, you know, a product of that. And uh, many of the people in my family have uh, been the products of that as well, you know, by uh, uh, cousins, a lot of them are medical doctors, pharmacists, uh, lawyers, uh, master's degrees. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a great point, man. Cause I think a lot of non-immigrant or non-naturalized Americans would never really conceive of that or, or think about, you know, just like tr- coming to a new country and realizing that there is this goal of citizenship and that, you know, the extra work they have to do and the, the fear of potentially losing their place to, you know, their place and their, their right to be in the new country and yes. you know, making, making relationships, making families, putting down roots and then still having that potentially ripped away. Yes, um, Absolutely. And there's often a language barrier, and this is what I wanted to uh, talk about specifically, because this was uh, a, a, a topic that came up in the CRT book, which uh, mm-hmm. we both read uh, this past week. I, did, I didn't read all of it. I have to, I have to put my hands up. I did the cliff notes, though, <laughs> in addition to, to making a good attempt at it. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's uh, well. I can pretty much. That's, it's it's pretty easy to uh, summarize. So before you dive in, CRT, uh, what is that for the audience? Well, CRT is a theory uh, that specifically you could say talks about the social dimensions of race and uh, what race uh, encompasses in our society. So specifically, they're trying to say. I'm going to say this as simply as possible. Racism is uh, very much ingrained into our institutions, subtly institution and institutionally, and this impacts minorities uh, very greatly in the scheme of things. And this is the reason why we have many of the racial disparities, uh, disparities that we uh, currently see now between blacks, whites, Asians, and Latinos. You know, blacks and Latinos are the marginalized groups and I guess uh, whites specifically are uh, thought of, thought to be the oppressors. For sure. And I thought that was interesting. I thought it was interesting, the juxtaposition between the CRT book and the other two books that you had me have a look at. So Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. Yes. And Please, Please Stop Helping Us by Jason Riley. Because those two books are kind of in opposite philosophical camps in some ways to the CRT book, not in the sense that they deny the presence of racism or the history of racism, but rather they, they kind of look at the downstream effects and they don't relate everything back to the systemic 
ingrained nature of racism in the systems. They they take a, a from my understanding, and please correct me if, if I'm wrong, but they seem to take a more almost like a more individualistic mindset of saying that everyone's responsible for themselves and there's a danger and a inherent problem with kind of disseminating this mindset of for for young black people, you know, this is the system in place. This is the kind of environment I was born into. And these other two authors are kind of saying that's not particularly helpful or reflected in the data. So I thought that was really interesting because, because those kind of are on di- in different camps and yeah. What, what do you, where do you kind of make between those two ends of the spectrum? Where, where do you find yourself personally? I don't really classify myself as a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or liberal. I try to take whatever I like from both sides and see what would be right for uh, the majority of Americans. So I never want to group myself in that sense because it just really limits you on the way you tend to ideate, the way you tend to think, the way you tend to act. Everyone's trying to put people in categories uh, here uh, in America today when no one really knows the full story about you know where people come from. So me, I choose to be neutral subjects like these. Well, it's neutral on 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 the on the category uh, correlations because I don't you know see myself as a as a category. But me, I sat on on, on the spectrum of I do believe that there is racism uh, in America, but I don't believe that it's the reason why minorities today are have such uh, disparate outcomes compared to the majority group. In the society, for sure. So, so you don't kind of take on face value that these downstream effects are solely at the feet of the history and the kind of systemic racism. I believe that there are remnants of uh, of of that of, of systemic racism, but you know, it's been what a whole generation, fifty, sixty years uh, since the passing of the Civil Rights Act that has given uh, black Americans and all Americans really uh, their civil rights and their, on the, and their, and their constitutional rights. Many of the disparities that we see uh, today have grown larger, have, uh, have become larger since the civil rights act. What do you, would you say this is, is this, is this down to racism, right? Where there's more racism now than there was 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Or could this be uh, a, a, another issue that, you know, people are just too scared to deal with? Yeah, yeah, it's layered. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I think ideologically, I probably would fall more in the the CRT camp. So just based on the the nature of the resources and how resources are, resources are distributed, especially opportunities. And, and I think how those opportunities are distributed would be where I kind of fall in line more with the CRT just based on, you know, if somebody, somebody's born into a place where there's not a lot of people in their lives and their families who are achieving and are successful and, you know, coupled with things like, you know, the war on drugs and, and mass incarceration that, you know, decimate families in the sense of if, if a, a parent or an older sibling or a grandparent is incarcerated federally. And then especially with the advent of mandatory minimums, you know, they're gone for 
a huge chunk of that person's life. So this is all very anecdotal, but like I can, I can really empathize with somebody who grew up in that space because, you know, if they didn't have those great role models and people killing it in their lives, then, you know, that's like, I, I get it. And especially that coupled with if say they're, say they're going to a really underfunded public school, you know, all of those things, I really can see how these patterns come about and how I don't know this to be the case. And this is just a, a guess, but I would, I would imagine, you know, in those environments, there could be like a palpable negativity maybe, or just a sense of hopelessness. Like, and if that's the case, I, I get it. So then if we look at structurally, how do those things come about? I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that like, if those patterns keep repeating themselves over and over, I would be more likely to kind of blame the system rather than, than the individuals in it, I think is kind of to, Long story long, how I came to that. Right. Where I I see the issue is that the system is not totally fair. I have to say that, and I'm I'm a pretty uh, fiscally conservative, conservatively uh, conservatively in guy. You know, life's not fair. There's certain things uh, I wonder uh, why that happened to me. You know, why this has happened to this person or that person. No, it's not fair. The system isn't totally fair. Life's not fair, but we often have to overcome adversity, right? We as people uh, have to man up. We have to woman up. You know, we we, we have to uh, not just sit down and let people just spit at us, spit on us. You know, we have to fight back. And that's why I say to a, a, a lot of uh, black people regarding this issue, you know, racism, white supremacy, it's just more adversity in your in your life, you know. Again, I'm not going to come here and say that racism isn't real. No, racism is real. You know, it's unfortunate. You know, it's unfortunate that human beings uh, can tend to be evil in this way, but that's not really an excuse to not want to do anything with your life and just sit down and, and just succumb to the racist oppression. Being 23 year old uh, black male in America, you know. I've seen how people can react to you, you know. I understand, you know, the microaggressions, you know, people, uh, I guess, being scared of you, you know, wanting to cross the sidewalk, you know, when they're coming down at you, you know. Um, people talking to you in a certain way, uh, in, a, uh, in, a, in a ghetto fashion, because they think that, you know, you're not intelligent enough or, or articulate enough to uh, speak in uh, proper English, people assuming uh, whatever about you. Um, you may not have a father. You may not ha- have a good home life. I understand all of that, but it's not a reason to um, just, you know, kill over and not want to do anything with your life. Yeah. hundred percent, dude. And I, I think, especially with the context of your family and, you know, their, their story coming to the States you know, your parents wouldn't have succeeded and and achieved what they've achieved if they had the attitude of anything except what you just expressed, right? And that that kind of never say die attitude and I'm going to make this work no matter what, you know, is put in front of me. So, dude, I respect that totally. And I mean, I mean, personally, that's my mindset in my life too, as far as my personal goals and, and you know, what I want to achieve with my life. And what well, can I, can I, I get up? Yeah, please go ahead. Good question. Uh, how did yeah, you, yeah. how did you grow up? Can I, can I ask you? 
how yeah yeah you dude very very comfortably i uh, never wanted for anything really my my parents were together until i was a junior in college so my home life was very comfortable what would be your view on uh let's say a minority this is one of the topics that one of the things uh situations that are brought up in crt and this comes down to i guess uh the thick of things and uh many of the cultural differences in america right a black person is employed at a certain firm right many and people the higher ups in the firm right look to ask um the white guys if they want to play golf, right? But, and that can often lead to uh, 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 higher roles in management, higher uh, uh, positions, right? Because they know each other better, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Networking, informal networking, yeah. Right, because they have the same culture. Um, Mm. And, you know, the black person or the Latino person or or the minority is left out because uh, he or she... uh, may not have that same cultural background or, or come from that same cultural background as that white, per, as that white person. Right. So what do you think that he or she should do in order to uh, uh, gain advantages in the specific system or a firm that uh, he's currently in? What would you think that he should do? I just want to say that ideally and I guess fundamentally they should not have to rig the system, you know, like and play, like, I guess I'm saying ideally they wouldn't have to do that, but I'm not naive enough to to think that's the way it is in the world. I think that if I were to recommend an, uh, an approach, it's tough because this is a really vulnerable thing to do, but you know, I, w- I would maybe recommend going to that manager or the leadership group and saying, Hey, I didn't grow up playing this game. And I'm not going to be potentially, you know, as comfortable there or, or know how to play, but I would really love to be involved and I want to go. And yeah, I mean, I think acknowledging it, acknowledging that, Hey, not everybody is going to know this, this culture in this game in some way. And, and that person can be as direct or as ind- indirect as they want. Right. Like they can say, Hey, you know, I'm not, in the country club, white guys club, and I'm not going to be able to, you know, get the career advancement that everyone else is because you're not inviting me to go play golf, but that might, you know, single them out, right. That might make them a target or become fall out of favor or whatever internal politics. Me, I, I, I have a solution for, okay, go ahead. Um, you could just create your own. If you don't feel wanted somewhere, if you don't feel totally accepted anywhere, you could just create your own thing you have the freedom to associate with whoever you want to, right? If I told you that uh, you got to associate with a bunch of uh, murderers, robbers, rapists uh, uh, immediately or uh, starting tomorrow from my mandate, right? What would you think of that? I mean, I guess you as my buddy telling me to do that is different than someone trying to climb the corporate ladder, right? Of course. But again, everyone has the right to associate with who they want to want to associate with. You know, that's, I guess, a part of, I guess, much of, I guess, uh, America's classical liberal, uh, classical liberalism. You have the freedom to associate with you, whoever you want. I don't have to tell you who you have to associate with, you know, 
Oh, uh, okay. So, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Right. So, are you saying from the perspective of the of the employers or the higher ups, and that like they don't have to be inclusive, or are you yes. saying from the employees' perspective, they should say "f it" and I don't need to join? Yes, both. Because "f it," you could just create your own thing. And I think this is one of the things that um, many minorities, minority groups, specifically black people. Uh, we tend to look at we tend to look at the dominant society as being responsible of fulfilling all of our wants, needs, and desires. You know, when we have agency in our own lives to, I guess, create our own dest- our own destiny. Right? Almost every immigrant group has done this. You know, you can look at Asians, Jews, you know, et cetera, et cetera, Chinese. Every uh, ethnic group in America has done this with when, when they weren't Irish, Italians, when they weren't, weren't one somewhere, they just built their own, you know, and that's, I think, much of the dilemma that uh, black people are going through. You know, the Grammys and, uh, and the Oscars, you know, cut uh, many black artists out of the awards. Well, if you're not you don't think that you're wanted there, you should go somewhere else and, and create your own. Right. Me, if I wasn't accepted on the rugby team. Right. I would have just went and uh, because I'm because of my uh, ethnicity and my race, I would have just uh, gone and, and, and created my own team. I believe now that I have the the different mentality uh, that I possess it, uh, today, and I, I don't think I would have thought like that four or five years ago. But now, you know, I have much a much greater uh, emphasis on my own independence and and and, and my own uh, agency. That's a beautiful thing, man. I think that's an awesome message for everybody to to absorb about autonomy. Uh, two things there. One, so looking back on your rugby experience on the team, you know, did you feel accepted? And 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 would you, you know, knowing what you know now, would you kind of? I'm sure you would approach things differently because we were all 18, you know, freshman year or whatever. But like with this mindset, you know, would you have, yeah, done things differently from that perspective? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that me, uh, I think there's always just going to be people in life that just aren't going to like you, you know, for some reason, you know, they, they kind of just use race as a reason to say they don't really like you or something. You know, I think there's always just going to be people who don't like you in life. If I really have like enough motivation and energy to really want to create my own team, then, um, you know, I, I would have, but I feel that it wasn't really needed, you know, me, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, was one of the only minority kids or black kids on the team. I guess it wasn't really that much of a, of a culture shock or anything. You know, GW was trying to like institute this you know, culture of inclusivity and diversity. And I believe that, you know, a lot of people, you know, kind of just went along with that whole thing, that whole notion. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't it wasn't all uh rosies and, and, and daisies lollipop sure. stuff but um you know no there was some things that um i did that i'm not totally proud of and stuff but you no know, we we're all just growing as people so mm-hmm. yeah yeah that, that's what i of course you're not the same person you were when you were 18 years old as you are when you're 23 24 25 yeah, exactly. So, okay, so is to go back to the the employment 
one you referenced. So I, I would just push back on that, you know, create your own golf group thing because it sounds like in that in that specific situation, and this probably does get replicated at companies all over the place, yeah. is that if the power and the prestige and the career advancement lies in a select group and they all happen to be white guys who play golf, you know, totally the the minority individual can go create their own social group from work and have fun and find, you know, fulfillment and happiness and friendship from that. But if they have to get the the clout and the, the political yeah, the, the political capital to get promoted, then that's I think that's a problem. And like that mentality while while stellar for personal development if it really is that much of a closed off group, you know, that's not going to get them the promotion necessarily. Yes. No, a lot of things with higher ups, you know, higher ups, a lot of it's just politics. They say Asians are very, uh, highly, um, a uh, highly prevalent in entry level, uh, uh, standard engineering roles in technology and, and in science. But when it comes to upper level management, there are, are, are underrepresented. It's just because um, they lack, you know, much of the, the, the skills that it takes to uh, be in upper level management. You know, they're, they're better, um, you know, with the technical work or is it a culture of racism? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So I think to answer your question, it could be, it could be a bit of both. It could be, it could be both. And, but, um, and I do, yeah, I do think, um, in, in fairness, like these corporations, especially as, as society progresses and does become more aware of bias, like these corporations are money printing machines and they're ruthless. And I feel like they will put whoever is oftentimes will put whoever's best equipped to do the job in the position to, to be fair. Like I do acknowledge that the meritocracy is at effect in a lot of ways. Right. I was going to come, I want to come to that. That was one of the, uh, the main points I wanted to talk about um, and how CRT looks at the meritocracy. Um, they pretty much say that the meritocracy is inherently uh, uh, biased and racist because uh, the dominant society uh, pretty much creates the standard, right? So it's not truly a meritocracy, right? Because the dominant society creates the norms and the standards within that system. We truly couldn't be fair to uh, underprivileged or oppressed minority groups. The oppressor uh, creates the standard, not the oppressed. So is it mm-hmm. really a meritocracy? And I want to say to that, um, we can see, I, I, I don't think that's totally, that's really true. Because, again, we see Asians, Indians, Nigerians groups that like these that come over to the United States and they're able to just excel past whites. Even is this really a, 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 a race issue, right? Or is it just a more of a cultural issue? Well, those two things are enmeshed. I think that, I think that the answer is nuanced. And I, I guess I love the, the individualistic mindset. Like I said, it's personally what I adopt with my goals and what I'm doing with my life. And, you know, I have a mindset where if I set a goal, I'm going to go do it. For example, this podcast every Thursday for the next year, it's going to happen. And after a year, I'm going to evaluate where this podcast is going. You know, that, that kind of thing. Like I love that attitude. And I think that 
that like this iron will I'm going to fucking do this attitude is what it's all about. And on an individual level, I really, I, I, I think that is a great thing for people to adopt. But for me, it's just the, the scale. And I guess once we see these results on, on a scale, instead of just anecdotally, Oh, this person is a minority and, and excelled past a white person. You know, I think once the, once the data reflects, like, I guess, I guess a good way to do it would be to look at, I guess two different things. So like to evaluate cleanly would be like college graduates by race with a four year degree. Right. And then, the, and then their progression in the workforce, you know, just roughly like what percentage of black, white, Indian, Asian, native right. and all the, whatever group Latinx and what level do they progress into career? So 20% got to mid management, 10% got to senior management, 5% get to executive. That would be like a nice, we could do that today and look at that well, data. I actually, I actually was reading a wall street journal uh, article on this. Uh, of course you were Obi. <laughs> of course you were reading the journal. <laughs> I'm, it, it, I'm this, uh, an economist He's a black economist who does a lot of things with black people and black upliftment pretty much recommended this article pretty much showed the outcomes and they're very, very, very disparate. It's unfortunate. It's the outcomes of, of career, career progression for people with uh, four-year degrees? Yes, between white whites and blacks. Okay, so so he, so the, he did find a, a significant difference? Yes, there's a huge difference. So to me, that would point to something in the tally of the CRT framework. Yes, but you can kind of level it down to the type of uh, careers they tend to they tend to choose what, what they major in, how much help they get from from the uh, their parents, you know, how much support they get, uh, the graduation rates. Because a lot of people take out loans and they don't even graduate, but they still owe, owe loans. There's a whole there's a multitude of reasons and. I would say maybe you no know, racism is involved there, but no, actually there probably is some, uh, some racism uh, involved in uh, these disparate outcomes, but to what extent does racism impact these disparate outcomes? For sure. I, I think that is a much richer debate and something that is really arguable. I think for me in my mindset right now is, is, is just about the, how opportunities are afforded and dispersed. And I also want to acknowledge too, that there are a lot of poor white people who are in a very similar economic and opportunity outlook to the kind of much described inner city black person who, you know, that narrative has been portrayed so much in, you know, and and the fact that another one that would for me point in the column of the CRT argument is that, you know, this, this image of what a black person in the city is and what their life looks like is so dispersed and so prevalent, but that same image of the poor white person is not really dispersed in the culture. You know, to me, that's like, like, why is that, you know, why, why is that? I think that's something that can kind of be attributed to systemic racism, you know, racism. Yeah. Um, I have a pretty clear answer for that. And that's because again, there are disparities between the races. Poor whites are generally a minority in this country compared to blacks that make up a great amount of 
the poor in this country. They're pretty much the underclass in this country, unfortunately. We as black people are seen as the underclass. We lead in pretty much all negative uh, economic metrics in this country. Our outcomes just aren't there with poor whites who are, who are just seen mostly as an, an anomaly. So we're the face of poverty in this country. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like that doesn't necessarily make sense when there are a ton of poor white people and it's kind of like they might, you know, it's like they could be the butt of a joke in a comedy movie of the, the redneck in the trailer or the, you know, the redneck who has an incestuous relationship with his cousin or whatever, you know, like, but I don't know. And this could just be my bias too, but I, I just feel like the, portrayals are really skewed and, and, you know, this goes back to the, the equation of criminality to blackness. Right. I'm going to have to say this um, because I I, I want things to get better. I'm going to have to, I I just have to say the truth. There is a problem with a lot of crime in the inner city in America. There's a big problem with crime in the inner city in America. And, um, but people don't really know the true realities of crime in the inner in the inner city. Most people in the inner city don't commit crime. There's only a few people who in these communities who are, are who are terrorizing these communities, unfortunately. And because of that, we see differences in many of the crime statistics in America. In, in America, we make up what three percent. Young black men make up three percent of the population. And we commit what, 53% of the murders and 60% of the robberies. And this isn't even per capita. Uh, this is just uh, title, total crime uh, percentages by violent crimes. So you know, I have to say what's true and what's not true because that's the only way things are going to get better. We're always trying to, uh, to see the truth and uh, to, see what hap- to see what happens. I know from your perspective – from what you see, the redneck uh, isn't seen or talked about as much as the poor black person. Um, I don't know if that's totally true, but I feel that you're looking at it from a tinted, privileged, white guilt glint. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Now, this is kind of uh, pretty prevalent in our society today, um, this attitude of, of, of white guilt, um, this self-righteous attitude that, um, that I'm not specifically talking about you, but I'm speaking for about other people who kind of come at this from a self-righteous viewpoint, people who really just don't, I believe, care about inner city minorities, you know, blacks or, or, or Latinos. They're trying to, uh, uh, show how righteous and, and, and good they are by uh, uh, supporting these causes, right? They're trying to um, show in their pretty much majority uh, white, uh, non-minority, non-ethnic group, how enlightened they are, you know, and, and they're using pretty much minorities. I was watching a, um, a movie called Roots. It's, a, it's just actually a really TV series that came out in the 70s. And uh, I was watching this, uh, the second saga. If you know, do, do you know what I'm talking about, Roots? 
Not familiar, no. Okay, it's it's, it's a saga about a, a black American family from uh, slavery to uh, uh, the modern era. It really stops in the uh, 1970s because that's when the guy, he, he wrote that book. Um, or the, ninth, the the late 1960s and he, and he wrote the book in like the 70s. But um, in one of the episodes, it shows um, a bunch of New York Manhattanites um, inviting him to a party, this black guy, to this party, and he's the only one there. This, he's one of the only two black people there, right? You could kind of see what he was trying to indicate by this. They kept on talking to him specifically about civil rights, and um, they're trying to show him to uh, uh, people who uh, uh, were trying to uh, fight for civil rights uh, for people uh, for black people down south um, but you could kind of see what he was trying to indicate by this of who these people really try to associate with their groups are just all white and non-diverse you know and you could see that hey many of these people are just trying to be self-righteous with the way they go about race relations. It's not really genuine because they wouldn't be acting this way or, or, or really showing um, these types of, uh, of ways of thinking. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's uh, virtue signaling, right? That's kind of the, the modern identifier of that. And yeah, dude, I'm not immune to these criticisms, man, you know, and I, I don't want to shy away from that because, you know, I, I think what you're saying is that these white people who, are kind of touting these ideas and going along with the social media phrases and voting, voting these certain ways, you know, need to think about it and not just do it because it's the majority opinion in their circles, but actually think about it, talk about it and have a good reason for doing what they're doing and, and make it authentic and, and have it come from a place of actually caring about people and not caring about their own reputations. Absolutely. But mostly I would like them to really, I guess, tell the full story of why race is kind of the way it is here in America. And again, why we see things we see here in America, why we see many of the disparate outcomes here in America. You know, need to, again, be, I guess, a Mother Teresa or anything, but I feel like you need to just say the truth <laughs> instead of being some self-righteous piece of crap who wants to win brownie points from his specific circle. You know, I was talking about this with uh, a, a famous judge and he pretty much said it right. You know, when they started, when, when um, he started to uh, go up North and protest many of the conditions that poor black people uh, were going through in many of the Northern cities pretty much just outed him when he started to come out against the Vietnam war, when they were the labor movement in general, they kicked him out. They, they, they didn't want to listen to him anymore, you know, because it wasn't, it was came to their own backyard. You know, have mm. heard that term NIMBY. Yes. Not, not in my backyard. Yeah. Not in my back. They didn't want that in their backyard. They were fine with doing it in the South. And, but, and I think that came down to other people trying to, tell other people pretty much what their values should be, you know, mm. you know the yes. North wanting to tell the South the way you should be 
in order to gain some type of sanctimony and some in some in, in some type of uh, sanctimony in order to uh, 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 control a specific uh, uh, region in, uh, in the country. Yeah, and that's something I completely agree with you, man. I think everyone needs to own their own opinions and actually have it come from a genuine place and not from a place of trying to impress others. And and there's a danger in publicizing ideas and going with the crowd and not thinking about it. And that's true on the right and the left. That's true of a lot of people who just don't think in general, but you're a very thoughtful guy, Ovi, and this has been an absolute pleasure. And that's a good place to leave it off for the three things game. So uh, what month is your birthday in Ovi? It's in December. December. Okay, I'm up. My birthday is on Thursday, bro. Let's go. Okay, so Thursday. I'll read my question. Happy Thanks, man. Birthday. Yeah, hell yeah. So I'll have a question. You'll have a, I'll answer the question, and you'll have a different question. Gotcha. Here's my question. What are three things I have learned about time? Well, man, I think as young people, number one, we have time on our side. And I think, you know, personally, I get anxious sometimes thinking about Am I doing the right thing with my life? Am I, you know, making the most of my time? Am I on the right path? All those kind of things. But, you know, time's on our side in, in that perspective is that we're really young and we have hopefully our whole lives ahead of us. So just to kind of chill out and, and not worry too much is a, is a takeaway for me. Number two would be on the flip side is, is to not take it for granted because anything could happen you know, there are all kinds of crazy things can can happen and take time or mobility or autonomy or these beautiful brains that we have away from us. So it's kind of a balance of, of not wasting it and not letting it go by without trying to maximize time. And thirdly, time is a f- construction, man. It's not fucking real. Watch time is a construction created by humans to orient ourselves in space. And this watch, this time is not real. There is no 24-hour day. It's made up by us to help orient us and make us feel like we're making meaning of of life on this asteroid, this rock in the universe. <laughs> I'm on that, on that real quick. Yeah, please. Have you heard of the space-time continuum? I've heard I've heard that term, but I don't know what it is. Right. So the space-time continuum is essentially a four-dimensional uh, system, right? Um, that pretty much talks of the relationship between space and time. So if you drop a firecracker on the ground, right, and that erupts, right, it, it, it goes off, you're pretty much establishing the concept of, of, of space. But if you drop, let's say, five firecrackers and they go off simultaneously, you're establishing the concept of time. So we get space-time continuum. You understand that? Yeah, I mean, well, it sounds like context. Like you need reference points. You, you don't know about time and sequence without seeing things happen sequentially, right? Because like with the multiple firecrackers, you can contextualize which one happened first and see that time is passing. Yes, right. So time can only go it only goes linearly, right? While space mm. can go backwards, forwards to the side. Yeah. Horizontally, yeah, yeah. Vertically. Time can only go in one direction. Space can go in a multitude of directions, right? So that's mm-hmm. why time is 
one-dimensional space is three-dimensional. We have the X, Y, Z plane. We established many of this in uh, multivariable calculus and partial differential equations. So multivariable calculus involves uh, the calculus of, mul of uh, multiple variables, uh, mostly three variables. Um, partial differential equations is the mathematics of how we relate, relate derivatives to multiple variables. If we want to find a layer of curves, right, multiple layers of curves, right, for multiple variables, we would use a partial differential equation to find that out, and we would solve that based on the three variables we're given. In multivariable calculus, if we want to find all the area under a curve with relation to three variables, right, we would use multiple in integrals, right? We can use double integrals, we can use triple integrals to find uh, how the area under the curve of our three variables. Do you understand? I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Here's a question. What are three things you have learned about food? Food is very diverse. Uh, there's a lot of implications about food. Me, generally, food is something that I just kind of easily burn off. It's not that you know, big of a deal for me. I don't have to you know, watch my calories or count my calories or anything like that. You know, I'm pretty active most of the time, so... Yeah, you're yoked, dude. Yeah. <laughs> how about you? No, I, I go off of uh, how active I am that day, and I eat kind of based on that. But I can put on weight pretty easily. But no, I, I'm I, I, I I'm aware of what I eat and the fuel, but I I don't count calories either. Right on, man. Do will Obi. Time has flown and my time is up, unfortunately, but I would love to have you back on. This was a really insightful conversation, man. Thank you so much for contributing your thoughts. And I think you helped me apply a much more objective lens to a lens to a very emotional topic. So I thank you for that. And thanks for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Thank you.